On Friday was Good Friday. And um, so glad to see so many of you here this morning. But we didn't see so many people here on Good Friday. And a couple of guys, I was chatting to a few others, and they say, where's everybody? I mean, Good Friday. We was looking and speaking about Jesus saying, I thirst. And why did he say, I thirst? He was thirsting for his relationship with God, because that was cut off from him. We was looking and, and we realized that Jesus said, it is finished on Friday. What did he mean? It is finished. He actually meant it is accomplished. It is completed. I have done what I came to do. Someone sent me a text said that Jesus didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. And how true that is. You know, 40 days went past after the crucifixion. And those 40 days that went past, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on that day. And one man stood out from everyone else. One man stood out because he was a principal speaker. This man denied Jesus three times. This man ran into the dark and started crying and weeping bitterly because he turned around and said, I do not know him. This man, we find him no longer timid on that day. We find him no longer weeping, no longer afraid, not hiding behind closed doors. We find this man declaring boldly that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. That man is Peter. And Peter, 40 days after the crucifixion, stands being filled with the Holy Spirit and declares to men and women alike that Jesus Christ is alive. Now before I look at his sermon in Acts chapter 2, before I look at that message, I want to say something about the man himself. First thing I want to say is about seeing. We read this in, the, in John's Gospel. This is Mary. Mary goes to the tomb. She sees it empty. And the Bible says she came running to Peter, Simon Peter, and the other disciple, the one that Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb. And we don't know where they have put, put him. So Peter and the other disciples started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciples outran Peter and reached the tomb first. I'd like you to see, first of all, the urgency of what's going on. I've never seen so much running in the Bible as I do at the resurrection. Everyone seems to be running. Here's Mary. She goes into the tomb. It's empty. So she runs over to Peter and to John and she tells them the tomb is empty. Peter and John gets up and they sprint over to the tomb. I like John, you know, John who writes this turned around and he said, you know what, I'm the faster runner than Peter. 
I actually outran him. And Peter and John runs to the tomb. John gets there first. And then we read that and Peter, he came along behind him and he went straight into the tomb and he saw the strips of linen lying there. They rushed into, uh, uh, to the tomb, both of them. And then Peter goes in and his tomb's empty. John goes in afterwards. He looks and he believes. But I can hear the conversation as they go back home. Just, just go with me for a minute. Just, just use your imagination. What were they talking about as they went home? I can hear Peter turn around and saying with an angry voice, Who took him? Where is he? How come he's not in the tomb? And I can hear John calming him down and saying, Peter, calm down. Don't you remember he said something about rising from the dead? I don't understand it, but surely you remember he said something. And the two had a conversation. Now, the Jews and others today think that the disciples stole the body. Some people say the reason the tomb is empty was because someone came and took the body. That's why, and probably the disciples did it. But when you read this account, Simon and Peter look just as confused as everyone else. Where is he? But not only do we see um, Peter being urgent here, we also see him again doing the same thing. You know, um, we've we, we got John and Peter, we've got them talking and discussing about the resurrection on the way home. They must have done but it's great that even today people are still discussing the resurrection. Even today, on the news, I heard that Jeremy Corbyn is using Jesus as an example. Jeremy Corbyn, he hasn't got a Christian bone in his body. I hope you're not labour. Somebody might knock me out later on. But Theresa May also is speaking about Jesus. People are still after 2,000 years are still speaking about Jesus Christ, resurrection. Some people are confused. They say, I don't know what happened. Others are, don't believe it and say it never happened. And others are convinced that he raised from the dead. There's still conversations going on about Jesus Christ. That's wonderful. I'm so glad at least people are still speaking about him. But it's not, only, it's not the only time that Peter showed urgency. Do you remember when um, uh, after the resurrection, Jesus stands at the shore and Peter and the disciples were fishing out there on a the boat and, and, Peter, and, and Jesus cried out to them, Friends, do you have any fish? Let me read these words. The disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. And he rushes over to the bank where Jesus is standing. The urgency. The man who saw Jesus 
um, who denied him three times, the man who went into the dark place and weep and cried, now hears that it is the Lord. He jumps out into the water and he rushes over to where Jesus was. I can remember a time when me and Kim was, the children were very small, and Benjamin and Joseph, Rachel wasn't with, uh, was, was with us yet, and they were very small, and, and Benjamin and Joseph was playing in the, in the sea in Scotland. And um, it was freezing cold, and me and Kim said, we're not going into the water. We just stand here, and I was standing here in my boots and my jeans, and I was watching them paddle around out there. And, and Joseph was going further and further out, because Benjamin was bigger, and he was, he was daring. And Joseph was going further and further out, and Kim was saying, Joe, come back. Joe, come back. But no, Joseph was going further and further out. And not too far out. I mean, he wasn't like in the middle of the sea. But he was, he was moving out. And um, suddenly the wave came over and took Joseph's legs right out. He was only about two years old, maybe less. Took his legs right, and he went underneath the water. Kim froze. I went into Superman mode. <laughs> shirt came on, so I kept the shirt on. And I rushed as fast as I could to get to Joseph. And as soon as I hit the water, it was slow motion. I couldn't get to I couldn't move my feet. I couldn't get to him quick enough. And eventually I got hold of him. But the urgency to get hold of him, my focus was just on Joseph. And I just think about Peter. He jumps into the water. He cannot sprint through the water. He cannot run freely in the water. But his urgency to get to Jesus. This man who weeps now runs to Christ. Listen. The resurrection, the resurrected Christ changes you. The resurrected Jesus changes a person. Ah, Peter knew Jesus in the flesh. He knew Jesus for three years. He was friends with Jesus, but now Jesus is resurrected, and now he's no longer in hiding. Now he wants to rush to see him. Now he wants to stand and proclaim him. The resurrected Jesus changes you. That's what he does. He changes you. And it will change you. No religion. No, no, no. You will no longer live for the here and now. When the resurrection when you believe and you get a hold of the resurrection of Christ, it changes you. You no longer want this world. You want to be where he is. As I said, I'm so sad to hear those Christians in Sri Lanka. So sad to hear that their lives were cut short. But you know what? I'd rather die preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'd rather be in church. Because Paul said, to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I would much rather be dying in the pulpit than dying outside of it. And sometimes I think Christians today, believers today, don't really realize that this world, as once said, is passing away. 
And we hold on to this life so much. And some Christians would turn around and say, well, I'm so glad I was in that church in Sri Lanka that day. If I was there, I would have been dead. Well, guess what? Those men and women who died today are with Christ this morning. Sad as it is, we live in a day and age when we want to hold on to life. We want to be old, decrepit men and women holding on to a walking stick, not able to climb the stairs properly. But we will say, at least I'm still alive. I want that life. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Being like him in his death. So somehow I might attain to the resurrection of the dead. That's me. That's Paul. And so often I think we hold on to this world so tightly. But Jesus' resurrection shows us and tells us that there's something more. And so Peter sees the resurrection. And because he sees the resurrection, he's changed. He's no longer behind a locked door. He's no longer weeping in the dark. He's no longer saying, I'm going to go out and go back to my own work, go back fishing again. He's no longer doing his old stuff. Because of Christ and the resurrection of Jesus, he is a changed person. Now, I know we've got a lot of people here today. It's great that you're here this morning. But are you here because you're a changed person? That's the question. Are you here because the resurrected Jesus has transformed you and changed you and made you different? I hope as you go through this message today, that will be your testimony at the end of this message. Seeing. Second thing I want to talk about is telling. So let's turn to Peter's message. Um, As I said, he preached it 40 days after Jesus died and rose again. And he's speaking to some very intelligent men and women. Peter himself, the fisherman, let's get it right. He's a fisherman. He's a bit like a a docker. He has no training. He has no formal education. We're not even too sure if he can read or write. He was an ordinary, hard-working man. I said on Friday that my father came over to this country in uh, 1950 and from, from Dominica. And he came over, but when he came over, he couldn't read and he couldn't write. When he died, he couldn't read and he couldn't write, but he was a hard worker. He worked in the building trade and he was able to, 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 to buy his own house. But he wasn't a trained man. Well, Peter was not a trained man. But we hear him speaking about history and speaking about prophecy when he preaches. How can a man who knows nothing, never went to a Bible school, never went to a Jewish school, never had any formal training, how on earth can he stand up and speak about history and prophecy? Only one way. The Holy Spirit came upon that man, stirred in his heart, brought up stuff 
that he may have heard from Christ. And he began to speak. And this is what he says. He says this. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. And his tomb is here to this day. Peter now wants to talk to you about two men. Two kings. Two rulers. Two men who led Israel. The first is David. Here he is. David was a king. And he says, here is David. But I want to tell you, David is dead. You can go to his tomb, Peter says, and you can dig it up and and there you will find his remains. You will find his bones. There is where David is. Here's your king. He is dead. He led Israel, a great man, but I want to tell you, confidently, I know where his tomb is. But now he turns around and he says, well, there's another man. This man, this king, he's not like David. He's not dead. In fact, he says this, David actually spoke about him. And this is what David said. David said this. This is what David said. Because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, you will not let your Holy One see decay. David is speaking about, he's prophesying, and David said this in the Old Testament, and David said, you will not let your Holy One see decay. But where is David? David's in the ground. David is buried. His bones are there. You can take his DNA and find out that this man is the king of Israel. He's in the grave. He's decayed. So what is he talking about? He's talking about someone else. He's speaking about another king. And um, here he goes. He explains it. See what was to come. He spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah. The resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead. Nor did his body see decay. That is what he was talking about. He was talking about Jesus. Not about himself. And he turned around and he said, this man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Peter points a finger at the crowd. And he said to the crowd... You see this Messiah? You see this Christ? You put him on the cross. It was you. That's what he says. Now, people generally don't like taking blame when things go wrong. Any of you who who drive, you know that if you have an accident in the car, never say it's your fault. You could be sleeping, you could be drunk, you could be, you know looking the other way, but if you smash into another car, always say, I don't know who done it. It wasn't my fault. And insurance companies always want you to say, it's not your fault. And so we live in a generation where people want to pass the blame to somebody else. 
It can't be that this person. It must be someone else. And Peter here turns around and says, you know what? The cross of Jesus Christ, the reason why he was put on the cross, Peter says, is your fault. Now, many people try to wriggle out of it. Some say it wasn't me. I wasn't there. Some try to deny the cross and say, guess what? The cross never happened. I don't believe that Jesus Christ even came. So it can't be my fault. Other people turn around and they will try to turn around and say, well, you know what? I'm not that bad. It cannot be my fault. It must be the criminals. That's who he died for. He didn't die for the housewives. He didn't die for the men and women who pay their taxes. He died for the criminals, the really bad people. You know, the people who do bad things. That's who he died for. But me, he didn't die for me because I'm okay. But what the Bible says this, the Bible says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for who? For us. He didn't just die for them. He didn't die for those over there. He didn't die for those in the prison. He didn't die for those who are struggling with addiction. No, the Bible said that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Peter would turn around and say to the crowd that he was preaching to, he would say to them, you have crucified the time Son of God by the help of wicked men. You've nailed him to the cross. It's your responsibility. It's your fault that he ended up in the cross. Why? Because you have sin in your life. Now you have to stop right there. You have to land there. You have to come to that conclusion that it's my fault. I have sin in my life. Christ died because of me. You have to land there. I remember when Kim and I was going on our honeymoon. Uh, we were going to a small island called Anguilla. But that island in the West Indies was so small that a, a Boeing 747 whatever, couldn't land on that island. So we had to land on a bigger island called Antigua. You had to land there in order to get another flight in order to fly over the other end. And I want to tell you, when I got on the other plane after being on the British 747 and I got on one of those West Indian planes with this lovely black pilot who said to me, you know, soon come, you know, I'll get there soon. And, 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 and the plane took off. And I want to tell you, it rattled all over the water. I thought to myself, Kim, it was great marrying you. But the plane landed. But you had to land there on that island. And I want to say this this morning, you have to land on the fact that you and I are responsible for putting Christ on the cross. We have to land there. We can't sidestep it. We can't say it was someone else. We have to settle right where Peter wants us to be. We are responsible. I am responsible this preacher put Christ on the cross. 
just like you have done. Okay, let's just move as we close this message in a few moments. Um, proving. Now I want you to hear what Peter says here. He turns around and says, he goes, God has raised this Jesus to life and we are all witnesses. Let's break this down. God has raised. God raised. The reason why God raised Jesus, the reason why he had to raise Jesus, is that God was saying that Jesus' sacrifice was enough. It was full payment. I don't need anything else. I don't need anything from Jesus. I don't need anything from you. I don't need anything from anyone else. God was saying, I'm raising Jesus from the dead because I want to say that is full payment. That sacrifice was enough. I don't need any other payment. You know, if you have a mortgage, and some of us have mortgages, some of you may be out of paying your mortgage, but you know, if you have a mortgage, the mortgage company will not give you your title deeds unless you paid every single penny. Can't bargain with them and say, you know what, I owe you a couple of thousand pounds, but give me my deeds, please. No. Every penny needs to be paid. And once it's paid, then in full, then you can have the deeds to your own home. But when it's not paid, you still owe the debt. Jesus paid it all. Every single debt that you owe. Every single sin that you ever did. Every single sin that you are going to do. All the skeletons that's in your cupboard. Jesus paid it all. And God raised him from the dead to turn around and say, that's enough. I don't need nothing else. I'm raising Jesus from the dead because he has done what I've asked him to do. That's why. And if Christ was not raised from the dead, guess what? We will still be guilty of sin. If Christ was not raised from the dead, it means that we will still have to pay for our own sins. But Christ is raised. And because he is raised, you and I can know forgiveness. God raised Jesus from the dead. Paul says, Peter says, but God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Why was it impossible? Because Jesus is the author of life and death could not hold him. But also, Paul mentions this about witnesses. God raised him, and we are witnesses. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus appeared to Thomas, do you remember Jesus appeared to Thomas? And Thomas was one of the disciples who was there when Jesus first appeared to the disciples. And so, Seven days later, Jesus appears again to the 12 or to the 11, and Thomas was there. And Jesus said to Thomas, Thomas, come here, put your hands in my, your fingers in my, my hands, and, and put your, your hands in my side. Look at the wounds. Stop doubting and believe. 
Why did Jesus appear to him? Jesus appeared to him like he did all of them because they were going to be witnesses. And you know, Thomas was going to be one of the 11 who's going to take the message to the whole world. And he had to have an eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection. Like the rest of them. And if he doesn't have an eyewitness account of Jesus' resurrection, then his preaching will be weak. It will not be compelling. He will turn around and he will say, well, you know what, I think he rose from the dead. I didn't see it myself, but I think he did. That will be Thomas's preaching. But Jesus appeared to him a second time because Jesus wanted Thomas to declare to the whole world, Jesus is alive. Just like the other guys. In fact, we read these words in Corinthians. Look what Paul says. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. People forget that verse is in the Bible. We know that Jesus appeared to, to, to Peter and to John and to the other disciples. We know that he appeared to Thomas and to Mary and to one or two and other women. We know that he appeared to Paul on the road of Damascus. But what is this? Paul writes and said he appeared to more than five hundred brothers at once. Why? So that when they carried a message, and I want to tell you they carried a message, for in one century, the whole Rome was changed because of Christians. Five hundred people saw the resurrected Jesus Christ. Why? So when they go out preaching, they can turn around and say, he is alive. No, I think he might be, or um, I'm not too sure. I've got second-hand knowledge or third-hand knowledge. No, no, no. I saw it myself, and I'm willing to die on that. And I want to tell you this morning, so many of the disciples all died because of what they know is true. Will you be willing to be fed to the lions because of your faith? Would you be willing to be sawn in two because of your faith? Would you be willing to be burnt and lit up on a Roman stick because of your Christian, of your faith? Would you be willing to do that? Most of us would turn around and say, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But I want to tell you, if you saw the resurrected Jesus, you would. You would turn around and say, because he lives, I will live also. That's what you do. You would not be afraid of death. And this is what Jesus said to Thomas. Thomas, you call me Lord and your God. That's wonderful, Thomas. But you only believe because you see me. I want to tell you something, Thomas, says Jesus. More blessed are those who have not seen me and yet believe. I'm blessing them more than I'm blessing you. I'm not pouring my spirit upon them. More than I pour my spirit upon you. Why? Because they have not seen me and yet they believe. Praise be to God. We come under that great blessing. 
of Jesus Christ. But let me just close this off. And then before I close, let me just give you one little illustration about witnesses. How important witnesses are. You know, the police service still asks, when there's a crime, they still ask for people who might have had some dash cam footage or some mobile phone footage. You know, you may have caught a crime on camera. The police ask for these things. Why? Because hearsay is not enough. They need eyewitnesses. If they have eyewitnesses, they can pursue a criminal and put him away because they have proof that a crime has been committed. Why did Paul say, why did Peter preach to a crowd of men? Why did he say, we are witnesses? Because he knew that that puts every person to silence. Praise be to God. Let's wrap up this message and finish. We've got seeing. Now we have proving. The final one here is responding. Peter looks for a response. After his message, he looks for a response from the crowd. You know, there's no sitting on the fence with Jesus. Some people like to sit on the fence. Some people like to turn around and say, well, you know what, I, I, I like to believe, but I'm not too sure. You know, and, and, and so I'm, I'm over here in the world still. Some people like to have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. Some people like to play around with Christianity and have enough Christianity as an insurance. You know, I, I just got Christ as an insurance. Because if there is a heaven and I die, then that's fine, I'm right in. But I'm going to live like the world. I want to commit adultery and, and get drunk and, and, and do what I want to do. And I want to live in the world. But, you know, I want to keep a little bit of religion in my life. A little bit of Christianity. Peter turns around and says this. There's no sitting on the fence. You're either in or you're out. There's no sitting on the fence. And the Spirit of God is working. And these people turn around. Look what they said. Therefore, this is what Peter said. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, or Lord and Christ. And the people respond. The people hear this. They were cut to the heart and said, Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I hear your message. I hear you're speaking about Jesus being raised from the dead. I hear your, the witnesses. I hear the prophecy. I hear what you're saying is so true. Brothers, what shall we do? Now, Peter didn't say to them, well, you can sit on the fence. As long as you've not got the right information, you know, you can, you can hang out with us if you want to. No, he didn't say that. He said two things. First, he says, change your thinking. Change your thinking. Once you should think of Jesus as someone who was just a pushover, 
someone who was a good teacher, maybe like Gandhi, or maybe like Nelson Mandela, someone like that, you know, nice guy, but you can make a statue of them, stick them in, a, in, in, you know, in London, and you can walk by every now and again. That's not Jesus. Change your thinking. He's not like the other leaders. No, he is the son of God. So Paul cries out and tells them to repent, change their thinking. Then he says, be baptized. In other words, what he means is this. Not only be baptized, but change the way you will live your life. And here it is. When we heard this, we're cut to the heart and say, Peter, the apostle, what shall we do? Peter responds, it's not on the screen, let me just read it to you from the Bible. Peter responds and he says this. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Not only change your thinking, but change your living as well. That is the resurrection story. The resurrection is not something that we can turn around and say, oh, it's Easter Sunday, let's go to church and have an Easter service. No, no, no. The resurrection Sunday is about changed lives. Why? Because Jesus Christ is not buried. He's not in a tomb. He's alive. And he says this, I'm coming back. And when I come back, I don't want to come back to dead people. People who are dead in their sins, dead in their transgressions. I don't want to come back to dead people. I want to come back to alive people. People who have me living and dwelling within their own heart. I'm coming back to a people who know me. People who are not afraid of the society that pushes Christians away and say, we don't want you. We're going to blow you up and kill you. We don't want you. But these Christians keep on coming back. Why? Because they know that the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that this world is not it. There's something better coming. And Jesus says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it wasn't so, I would have told you. I'm going there, he says, to prepare a place for you. And when I've gone there, I will come back so that I will take you to be with me. My friends, are you in Christ? this morning it might be the only time you will hear a gospel message like this next Sunday we might have the empty chairs again because other things have taken you away, taken your time but I want to say to you this morning, are you in Christ? if you are not the hour to decide is today it's not about balloons. We've not got balloons out there. It's not about some people want to come to church because they want to see a balloon. They want to come to church because they want to have a cup of tea, a slice of cake. It's not about that. It's about do you know Christ? 
And there's only one sermon you will hear in all your life. May it be a sermon that points you to Jesus. And say, look to him. Look to him. Look to him. And be saved all the ends of the world. Let us pray. Father, I want to thank you that Jesus Christ, I want to thank you that he's not in the tomb. I want to thank you, Lord, that he's not dust and ashes like all men. But God, I want to thank you and praise you that you raised him from the dead. And Lord, I want to pray that today we will not, none of us here will go out of this room thinking it doesn't matter. But we will go and leave that he, and, and we will say to ourselves and to one another that we must change my thinking. We must change my living. Why? Because Jesus is coming back. I want to be ready. I want to be ready for him. That we might be able to say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ. But if I was to die, praise be to God. It will be gain. For I will see him face to face, exalted, raised up. Father, do a work in us, we pray. Only your spirit. No amount of man's talking or preaching can change your heart, but only your spirit. Spirit can work. May your spirit work this morning. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.